Oh, yeah, a wise guy, eh? Why, you? Welcome to another edition of Pod Jerky. I'm your host, Tom. And on today's episode, we have a writer and a fellow Canadian, Jeff Dale. Welcome to the show. Well, uh, thank you very much. Good to be on. Uh, so you're from Woodstock, Ontario? That's right. Uh, originally born in London, England, and moved to Canada many, 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 many years ago. Yeah, that's great. And you are working on a book, and I believe it's called uh, The Fine Art of Boxing, No Stooges in the Ring. No, no, that's actually my previous book. Uh, oh, that's a different book. Yes, that was one I uh, published a couple of years ago. That was uh, basically about Larry Fine and um, his sort of adventures as a amateur boxer before he became a stooge. Uh, this book is, um, is, isn't quite written yet. It should be done by the early part of 2021. It's about Shemp Howard. Basically, it's um, sort of discovering or rediscovering Shemp Howard. And he was one of the original stooges, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He was actually part of a, of a trio that was with another comedian that, that started off the Stooges thing before they actually went into TV? Absolutely. Basically, uh, they started under a well-known comedian, actor, whatever you want to call him back then, uh, by the name of Ted Healy. And uh, he put together, and they weren't the Stooges originally, of course, but this is way back in the 1920s. He sort of uh, was friends with uh, Mo Howard originally, and Shemp, who was uh, older than Mo, of course. Um, Shemp became, you could call him the constant of the trio. L later on, Larry Fine joined. So they were in the, on the go, you know, in the, um, in the late 20s and through the 30s. And um, under many, many different names, uh, so basically it was Ted Healy's group. That, that's the key from the, from the beginning, before they became the Stooges. And Shemp was his go-to Stooge, if you want to call him that. And uh, basically, some of the names they had under him were uh, Ted Healy and his Southern Gentlemen, uh, Ted Healy and his Racketeers. And um, at one point, actually, uh, over a business dispute, they uh, broke off and just simply called themselves uh, Howard Fine and Howard. And also the three lost souls. So, so that they had a long history. Shem had a very long history with uh, Ted Healy. And um, Ted Healy, I don't know how much you know about him. He was a much, much taller gent. And uh, of course, the Stooges. Um, Shem, by the way, was uh, apparently the tallest. I think he towered up to about. Uh, depends on who, what particular biography you look at he's either five 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 six or or a gigantic five seven so um healy was a much bigger man and he basically taught them all the ropes and um their act essentially was on stage it was vaudeville and that that's where they got their beginnings and they did make a feature film together too and um this again this was 1930 and the the film was called um from soup to nuts and it was basically devised as a, a vehicle for, um, for Ted Healy. He was the lead. But the interesting part about that was uh, Soup to Nuts. It, it, it went fairly well, but um, Ted Healy wasn't offered any, any major contracts or anything. But behind the scenes, uh, the Stooges were offered the contract. 
or at that point, of course, they were the Southern Southern gentlemen, I believe. And um, so that were, that created a little bit of um, uh, an issue. So they all went off. Um, they, they basically he he managed to uh, I don't know curtail that that effort. They didn't get the contract, and they broke away as um, Howard Fine and Howard. And in a in a short time, basically, Shemp went out on his own. So. That's where Shemp really started, around in and around 1932, 1933. It was Shemp alone. No Racketeers, no Ted Healy, and it was just Shemp Howard in the movies now, not on stage. So that's the beginning. And, and they're from uh, a Jewish descent, and his, his actual real name was Shmuley or Shmuel? Yeah. And uh, his, his English name came out to Samuel. But his mother couldn't couldn't say it properly, I guess, and it would come out as Shemp, and that's how Shemp stuck. Yeah, well, they sort of thought it sounded like Shemp, so that was a a real hoot for his friends and uh, other family members, of course. So they started calling him Shemp, and um, she was trying to say sh- Sam, but she had a fairly strong uh, Lithuanian accent. Um, uh, that's where a lot of the people, a lot of the uh, the Jewish people, the, the community came from in those days, from Eastern Europe, places in Russia and, and such. They wanted to escape the uh, persecution, the economic trials, and just plain um, sort of uh, you know bigotry and all the rest against them. And they, they did well on the, the Eastern coast. So the family name was Horowitz. Then again, you, you could say it was um, there's different variations: Horowitz, Hurwitz, Garwitz. So I, I guess simply for uh, the sake of anglicizing the name for the show business um, community, which they did, they they opted for Howard and Shemp, whose real name was Samuel, or in Jewish, as you pointed out, Shmuel. Shemp stuck. It was a great name, you know. Thanks to his mom, she probably didn't know that and realize that. But and uh, Harry Moses became just simply Mo. He'd worked under Harry for quite some time. And Larry was uh, Louis Feinberg. He was from Philadelphia. But 1930, 1932, that, that area, that's where Shemp really broke away. And he became the, the sort of, oh, he was the solo. He, he was the guy who basically had a solo career as opposed to either Curly, who was his younger brother, Mo or Larry. I mean, they did a few things on the road. But uh, Shemp, definitely went out on his own and he had a, a very successful career starting around 1933. Yeah, and he he was in uh movies with uh John Wayne, uh Marlene Dietrich and a few others that he was playing I guess a gangster type player or a uh like a goon I I would I would say. Yeah, he basically he sort of mainly speaking he he did the comedic role. That, that was what he was good at. He he was known for uh being a good ad-libber. So, I mean, uh, people who think that ad-libbing in uh, comedy routines was invented uh, these days, that's that's not true. There was a lot of good ad-libbers back then, and Shemp was one of them. Uh, he was a good physical comedian. He had an interesting look. I mean, quite frankly, if you look back at some of the early pictures of Shemp, he, he looked like a, a sort of a hippie before his time. I mean, he had pretty long hair. And, of course, Mo, you know, they, they, they consider Mo to have sort of invented the beetle haircut. So um, he was a little bit of a, a wild-looking guy in Larry of course with the, uh, the the balding head with the wild sort of stringy hair sticking out but but Shemp had that look and 
unlike a lot of other comedians of that time, he, he did try, as you pointed out, uh, some dramatic stuff. And that was quite interesting. He, he was quite successful. I mean, he, he played up against, as you said, uh, John Wayne in um, in a movie in 1942. That was for Universal called Pittsburgh. Not, not, a, not a completely dramatic role, but sort of half straight and half comedic. And in the early days, uh, he started off with a a company called Vitaphone Studios, which is a, was a, a branch of Warner Brothers. He, d- he did a lot of work with, uh, he had work with, uh, for instance, Jack Haley, who played the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. That was about five years before that movie came out. Um, you know, well-known people of the day, Burt Lahr, that was an independent film he made called Henry the Ache. Um, that was also before The Wizard of Oz came out. So so he got to, to actually act with a lot of really well-known people. Some of them before they, they got their, their name in show business uh, or in film, and some of them who were already quite well known. So, and as you pointed out, um, John Wayne was another. That was a little later on. There was a series all about um, boxing called Joe Palooka. I don't know if you are aware of the, the old comic strip, Joe Palooka. Uh, no. Okay, it was basically sort of a big, dumb, blonde guy who's sort of a bit of a country rube. And uh, Shemp takes him on. Shemp becomes the manager trainer. And, um, you know, it's funny, but it was a, a bit of drama, too. And that's where he really hit it big, because the star of that particular series of uh, nine shorts, uh, Seb, uh, actually, Shemp did seven of them. He, um, he was not overlooked, but it was the attention sort of was on Shemp. And that's what the advertising sort of focused on, Shemp. Critics were talking about Shemp. And one of the reasons was is that Shemp was a huge, huge boxing fan all his life. And uh, so he knew how to talk uh, like someone in the boxing business. I mean, he knew the patter, the, the, the banter. He knew the movements. He had a really funny sort of a shuffle he used to do, uh, sort of, you know, de- decades before um, uh, Muhammad Ali, Ali did his Ali shuffle. There was Shemp shuffling around so he he did a great job in that and and in between that early stage he did a film for an independent company in 1935 was for a falcon pictures was called convention girl and uh things had been cleaned up in hollywood a little bit at that point with what was called the uh, Hayes code but this was all about um you know the, the bad old days in Atlantic City, shall we say? And Champ, if you can believe it, the comedic Champ, he played it completely straight. I mean, the movie wasn't all that great, but he, every time he appeared, you'd say, "That's Champ." You know, he had you did uh, sort of a sharp-looking clothes on. He was basically a small-time hood. His specialty was um, basically uh, blackmail and uh, sort of, you know, just anything for a dollar. He even tries to kill his partner. So, you know, people who didn't think that uh, an actor like Shemp, known for being a Scrooge-like character, those who didn't think that he could do a dramatic role, well, they were really mistaken. And when he got to Universal, or actually he got to Columbia first to do some shorts, when he, he moved from Brooklyn to Hollywood, and did a series of uh, uh, work for um, for Columbia. That was before he got back with the Stooges, of course. But Universal was where he really made his name. And um, I'm assuming you probably know people like the names like W.C. Fields and Abbott Costello. Yep. Yeah. And, well, you know, he had some nice parts. I mean, you know, he, he wasn't a star. He wasn't the feature performer. But he had some good parts. Um, the bank dick with W.C. Fields, he played the bartender. Uh, great role, uh, edited down quite a bit as as the roles in those days were. 
but a nice role. And uh, then in um, 42, he teamed up with um, John Wayne. And John Wayne, by the way, uh, they lived in the same neighborhood. So John Wayne occasionally uh, would, well, Shemp didn't drive. So John Wayne would drive him to the studio which was kind of cool. And uh, Bob Hope, by the way, lived in the area, and he used to drive him to the studio, too. But uh, anyone who wants to see Shemp in action in a, in a big-budget film, check out Pittsburgh. It's got um, John Wayne, Randolph Scott, and Marlena Dietrich. It's, uh, it's a hoot seeing Shemp. It's, it's, it's really cool. And Abbott and Costello, he did a handful for them, about five or six features. Very, very good. You know, some smaller roles, some a little more, um, little more substance to them, but good, you know, good recognition. And Universal, I think, you know, at least in my opinion, I think was really good for Shemp. He got to appear in, uh, he appeared in one of the Thin Man films, which were really popular in the day. That was an independent uh, enterprise. He, um, like I said, Emma Costello, uh, Rudy Valley, the singer, um, Georgie Jessel, who used to, became the Toastmaster General of the United States, and uh, all kinds of folks. I mean, you know, he wasn't just a guy who was out there sort of scraping around. I mean, he got some decent parts and got himself really known uh, in the, the film community, and I, I think really respected. So that's a little bit of history about him. Um, would you like to know a little bit about his personal life, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Well, the, his, he, him and his wife, uh, he married um, back in Brooklyn. His wife's name was Gertrude, and but she was known as Babe. It seems like everyone back then was known as Babe. Uh, yeah. Oliver, uh, Oliver Hardy was Babe. Um, Curly, they used to call him Babe. And But anyway, his wife, Babe, they used to hold these great parties all the time, uh, every week. And they'd have all kinds of people over. John Wainicop would drop over some of the major comics, uh, the Bowery Boys, a couple of those, Hunts Hall, he, um, he was in them. And um, and one that I, I forgot to mention this, you, you might find this interesting, he, he occasionally dropped around, and it was James Stewart. James Stewart, or Jimmy Stewart, whatever you like to call him, he actually had his film debut in a Shemp short back in 1934 called Art Trouble. He was uncredited. He got 50 bucks for the deal. By the way, that was really good money at the time. Yeah. So for anyone who wants to know where the Oscar-winning James Stewart started, it was with Shemp Howard, believe it or not. So. Yeah, wow. We're going to take a quick break to show some love to another podcast. Hey, this is Dub. And Les. And we're your host, The Goals Podcast, where we are genuinely, genuinely out, out actively lifting society. society. Whether that's through inspiring interviews with amazing guests. Or just giving you our own unique perspectives to give you a positive impact on your day. Yes, and we're here every Tuesday to help brighten your week. So catch us on all your favorite platforms that you like to listen to podcasts. That's right. We're on all listening platforms and all social media platforms. Check us out. Goals Podcast. Peace. Deuces. That was Dub and Less from the Goals Podcast. Make sure you tune in and hit that subscribe button. Yeah, and some of the stuff that I was reading about prior to doing this podcast, even, uh, I, I think was very, very, very smart of, of him in order to promote himself in a movie just like Pittsburgh, like we were talking about. And mm -hmm. he was promoted as the ugliest man in Hollywood. And that would gain him like attention into the movie with John Wayne and Marlene uh, Dietrich, right? 
Yeah, well, they, they even promoted the film. There was a big uh, a spread that the company put out, Universal put out. And, you know, they mentioned, of course, uh, Marlene Dietrich and John Wayne and Randolph Scott. But they also said, and featuring the ugliest man in Hollywood. Uh, one of the things back there, uh, back at that time, was um, agents and managers, uh, they, they had some pretty good ideas. And Shemp was, was smart, too. He had a very, how do you say, a rubbery kind of face. He, he could really pull some really incredibly strange-looking faces. So they cooked up this deal prior to this movie. Um, it was on, on the set, I believe, of another film that he made. And he got some uh, some people in the community, some acting friends, MC. They had a little ceremony. They, they voted on it, you know, six judges or whatever. And um, an actress gave him a trophy. You know, he said, you, you have now been awarded the title of the ugliest man in Hollywood. And he basically just took this to town. And he sort of loved it. I mean, he's, it's sort of self-effacing humor, but I mean, he, he took it in, in this sort of, he took it in his stride and he, it was, it was well-intentioned. It was, you know, meant to be comedic and funny and it worked. It did work. I mean, because he sort of utilized this, um, rubbery, uh, very, very, uh, comedic appealing face that he had. And, uh, it got him work. Well, it's it's marketing genius. It's I mean, if if he's able to do that, and then people start to realize, hey, this is the ugliest man in Hollywood, and want to book him just because of his his name or his moniker, there, it's it's genius. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, they, they, they seem to forget. I mean, it's 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 a combination of things that uh, that get you known. I mean, a lot of people mistakenly say, well, you know, he never really starred in any films and that, but he had he had good roles. And he played up against good people. And uh, when you sort of utilize your looks, your abilities to be quick on your feet, be a physical comedian, and um, and hell, be be the ugliest man in Hollywood. I mean, you, you got it going for you. And you know, these were interesting times because his, the early days before he became the ugliest man in Hollywood, back in uh, Vitaphone, that was in the height of the depression. I mean, those are horrible times. People were out of work, you know, incredible amount of unemployment and even some of the people in the entertainment business. But he worked. He continually worked. He worked at um, Vitaphone. He worked at Columbia. Then he continued to work at, um, at Universal. Some of this was contractual work. Uh, some of it was sort of uh, as the work came up. That was what it was like initially. But he was a working actor. And that definition, I mean, fit him perfectly. So there you go. You got some titles for him. The Ugliest Man in Hollywood, a working actor. I mean, he, he had a lot going for him, and he took advantage of it. And he had all those people at his house uh, uh, every, I don't know if, exactly what day on the weekend it was, but he had these parties. And, I mean, it was it was the talk of the town. You know, you, you're going to Champlain Bay, uh, Howard's place this weekend? It's going to be a hoot. We've got lots of people there. Jimmy Stewart might be there. John Wayne might be there. You know, maybe a couple of the Bowery Boys might be there. And um, uh, maybe W.C. Fields might drop by. And if, if you do, you better stock up on the booze for that guy. But uh, great stuff. It was it just it's just fun. It's fun. Not just there's sort of a thing with Shemp fans, you know, like I, I think there's a much, much, much larger group of people who are sort of all of a sudden realizing that, you know, Curly, Larry and Moe were the the sort of the, um, the known names. This is what people grew up with. But then they see Shemp. 
and, and they start to they, one of the, the games basically is when you you turn on something like um, uh, the TCM networks uh, turn to broadcasting and you watch the classic films and Shem fans like to sit there and go look this, look in the middle of this drama there's Shem he's there again you know and it's sort of it's a game we, we kind of play and the and the key here is and I guess you know a little bit about this but I can explain more is eventually. His solo career, sadly, came to an end, not because it wasn't successful, but because Curly had a series of strokes and um, sort of basically had a really bad stroke, which which sort of finished him for good. I mean, it was in the it was in the middle of one of their films that he was doing and uh, very, very sad. And basically, they started to look desperately for um, for another uh, performer because uh, the film that they're working on, Halfwood's. Uh, Halfwood's Holiday that was completed. They they looked all over for for people. Mo wanted Shemp. He basically wanted Shemp. He was a family member. He knew the routine, and so that was it. So back in around '46, helping with a little bit of um, uh, sort of promotional stuff on uh, live promotional stuff and things like that, they started working on on their shorts together. And in 1947. He, uh, they got together. It was, it was now Shampo and Larry, or Sh- you know, Mo, Larry, Shamp, whatever you like to call it. Uh, and the short was called Fright Night. I don't know whether this was actually planned. I, I got a feeling it was. And guess what? The topic was. It was boxing. And how bright is that? That's yeah. the, that's the way to get Shamp back in, and that's where it started. So he, on his own, did 105 feature films with a number of roles that he had in all of those. And with the Stooges, he was now set to do, I believe it would have been 77, I believe, thereabouts, yeah, 77 films are in the, in the area of that. So he was back in another course of uh, his career. I don't think he really wanted it that much, but he felt a family obligation, and he loved his brothers. Of course, his brothers, Mo and, um, and, uh, and Curly. Uh, and... Got along well with uh, with Larry, and sadly, of course, uh, Curly died at the age of 52, I believe, in uh, 1951 thereabouts. I don't have that right in front of me, so very young age. But he was back with the Three Stooges now, so. Yeah, and I, and I was watching some clips this morning, and when I was growing up, and and this was a long time ago, like I'm 41 now, I would say this is probably in my teens. Uh, right. My grandparents were huge fans of the Three Stooges. They were huge fans of I Love Lucy. So anytime we went over there, they didn't have any cable, but they had all of the episodes recorded on the VHS tapes. Um, right. So we would get a chance to watch uh, some of those. Hard to remember a lot of them just because it's been such a long time since I've watched them. Um, but I did watch a few clips this morning morning and watch Shemp do uh, that actual boxing shuffle like you were speaking of earlier um, with a much larger gentleman where, you know, they were just trying to change, uh, exchange punches or slaps and he was ducking and juking and jiving and, and all that. And, and that was pretty funny. And then I, I didn't even realize that Curly actually came back on set one time. And mm-hmm. it was the four of them that actually got to appear together in one scene. It was the only scene that they ever appeared on. And that was, I think, one of the famous times like where Curly would where he was sleeping and he would make that sound like he was snoring and then uh, me, 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 me. And that gets copied a lot in, in comedy today. Um, right. So that, that was actually cool to go back and remember watching that. 
Yeah, it, it's interesting too because that, like you said uh, very correctly, that that was the only time they appeared together on film. There could have been a second time, but it didn't happen. Uh, they they did. They had a publicity shot. Everything. It was in uh, one of their shorts. I believe it was the Malice in the Palace, and I believe it, it was uh, basically. Curly had a big handlebar mustache, was very thin, and he was a chef. And there's all there's a number of stills out there, pictures, but it was cut. It didn't get it, didn't make it into the film. But the one you're talking about, yes, he there he was. It was um, he was there sleeping on there, and and uh, Larry and 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 Shemp and Mo were saying, listen to that guy. What strange sounds that guy is making, and uh, that was kind of cool. That's a bit of history, like you said, the four Stooges together. Uh, the only time, and the only time the three brothers, of course, Shemp, Curly, and Moe on film together. And um, and that's something, too, by the way, during their, their, their stint as the Stooges with, with Shemp, they did a lot of work on the on the side, uh, which is really, you know, quite very quite profitable. I mean, the Stooges weren't weren't rich. I mean, they weren't the multi million dollar stars we know today. But they did okay. They did a lot of um, a lot of work uh, for you know uh, guest appearances and such. And actually, at one point in 1949, with the help of uh, Milton Berle's brother, they they made a TV pilot, if you can believe it, it was called Jerks of All Trades. It didn't get picked up, but it was really interesting. And um, the the rumor, or not the rumor, I spoke to someone in the Burrow family, um, and they, it, basically they said Shemp and um, the brother, the, the Burrow brother, were sort of sort of key to this this particular um, uh, pilot. Like I said, and I I get a copy of that. It's it's quite it's not bad. It, it got turned down, but it's a little bit of history. It's considered to be one of the first, if not first, TV pilot ever made. Uh, didn't make it, but still. And one of the things with Shemp, another thing about his family, like you talk about boxing, they used to go out every, uh, I know it was on weekends, you know, Friday or whatever, and possibly even during the week. And it used to turn out, they used to be in the front row uh, with Shemp there, and Shemp would get up in the middle of a fight, uh, or as a round ended, he'd be swinging his uh, fists, he'd be dancing and jiving, he'd be carrying on. The whole crowd was watching Shemp. And at some point, the corners in the uh, the fighters' uh, uh, group there, like say a tra- trainer or whatever, or not one of the cornermen, would jump off the ringside and start waving towels and patting him down on the head to, to wipe off the sweat off of Shemp. And that would get a big applause. So, I mean, Shemp became the show at boxing cards so there he was you know he was he was a born entertainer he was naturally funny and if he thought he could sort of add a little entertainment of his own to what was going on he did it he just loved boxing yeah and do you do you think that the three stooges well i guess the, uh, all four of them do you think that they were trendsetters for the way comedy is today well i think uh, this is my personal opinion, so if anyone disagrees with me, they're quite welcome. Um, a fellow Canadian of ours, uh, Jim Carrey, quite honestly, I think if there were no Three Stooges, uh, Jim Carrey maybe would have made a living, I don't know, but I don't think he would have been like he is today because a lot of the stuff he did in his earlier work was very Stooge-oriented. I, try, I tried, in fact, to reach him, but uh, no luck there. I'd love to ask him about that. And in fact, I'd love to ask him, I wanted to ask him for the book. Well, you know, Curly Larry Moe, that's, those are the known stooges. What do you think about Shemp? Did he have any influence on uh, your career at all? 
And I think you're right. I think in, in a lot of respects, the Stooges, is, it, remarkably, I mean, you're talking about a group that by 1920, I don't know, say 25, 26, thereabouts, 23, you, when you get to 2023, we're talking about the formation of a group 100 years ago. Yeah. So that's amazing. Not only could you consider them to some degree to be trendsetters, they've really not lost a lot of their basic uh, their basic fan base. I mean, you're you're 41. No, I'm I'm older than that. I won't uh, I won't tell you how old, but uh, I'm old. Uh, when when I got out, came from England originally, uh, that was a no-no for my my parents. They'd heard about the Three Stooges. Oh God, no! Violent uh, slapping, poking of the eyes, none of that nonsense. So basically, that was an invitation to sneak a peek every time I could. Right. But they've got new fans, and, and contrary to what people tend to believe i'm not suggesting all women like them but not all women hate the stooges far from it uh, i've got some family members who in who, who are female and they love the stooges and um it's just because it's i don't know it, it's basic good it's very well done humor i mean you know despite all the constrictive budgets uh, the cutbacks over the years you know by the time shemp got got there uh, you know, there wasn't a much, as much attention to the shorts. I mean, the shorts the shorts industry was sort of uh, rapidly declining, and basically the Columbia shorts were really the only ones around. The Stooges were it. And um, he did a great job. He, he, he was one, That was another one of his talents, at least I think it is, is that he could work against uh, weaker material, uh, less money being put in, and still still be funny. I mean, I, I think he's he, he was and, and still is very funny. And I believe that a lot of people who get the opportunity to uh, check out some of the older films, maybe by going to the Turner uh, Network, the classic movies, or just ordering something up on uh, wherever you can get them, they'd be, they'd be very, very, very surprised. And, of course, we talked about the boxing. I, I don't know if you know. He died coming home from a boxing match. He was in the back of the car with his buddies, back of a taxi, because he didn't drive. And they were telling jokes, and he lit up a cigar, and just about to say something, and bang, his head fell into the lap of one of his friends, and he was dead that night. So he saw the fights, loved them, did his thing, and that very night, at the age of 60, a few hours later, he was gone. Uh, it was reported as a heart attack, but I believe... One of his relatives said it was a, a, a cerebral hemorrhage, I believe. Uh, so whatever the case was, he, he was gone. And that was it. And and, and it's funny that you mentioned he, that he, he didn't drive because I was actually reading a funny fact on him is that he did drive as a teen, but he ended up driving his car through a barbershop window. And after that, he never drove again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and basically, um, he, he didn't drive again. Uh, his wife didn't drive. And he had... Um, he had some fears. I mean, I think to a certain extent, some of his fears were kind of exaggerated, I think, for publicity's sake. And, you know, you can make a, an interesting story, a phobia, even more interesting when you sort of embellish it a lot. But, yeah, he didn't drive. Uh, he didn't like airplanes, so he didn't do that. He didn't really care, apparently, for trains very much. So travel, I guess, in, in some respects, was uh, rather limited for him. But he, like I said, he got rides all over the place. You know, John Wayne, Bob Hope, rides to the studio. Uh, but that early incident, way, way, way back, I mean, basically, he wasn't a driver. 
and um, it's interesting. And and of course, this is reasonably famous. I think the fact is that when he did die, uh, there were four more shorts to be done on the contract. So, hence the the fake Shemp. They had to sort of basically cobble together uh, old old stock footage from earlier material so that he was in it. And also they uh, they hired a stand-in, a sort of quote-unquote fake Shemp. By the way, the fake Shemp came from a film director, um, I always mispronounce his name, Sam Remy. Yeah, uh, him, yeah he uh, he quoted that, uh, the fake Shemp. Uh, was, was, his name was Jim Palmer. Some, some incorrect information, too, about Jim Palmer. Uh, Jim Palmer uh, did some uh, work uh, with Shemp back in the uh, the 40s on Solo. He had he had a pretty decent career. I mean, he wasn't just the fake Shemp. He became the personal assistant and a stand-in for Jack Lemmon later. So he's interesting, too. I mean, uh, J- uh, Jim Palmer did some good stuff, and he but he will forever be the fake Shemp. And every so often you'll find a director these days who will make reference to the fake Shemp in his particular production. And uh, that's what it's all about. The four films were completed. They, you know, people can pick and nitpick and all the rest. Probably not as good as the, the remaining 70-odd, but they were done. So Shemp, who often gets labeled the forgotten stooge for me is anything but forgotten and the purpose the real purpose of the book it's actually got a dual purpose now what i wrote the book or why i'm writing the book is simply because i think people need to know more about what are sort of the underrated stars that sort of flew under the radar and i think now that we're into this pandemic the covid19 era i think people could use a chuckle and this is what I'm hoping they're going to get out of the book. Yeah, and you you actually got to interview some of the actual family members, the uh, granddaughters, uh, the grandkids, actually, and the the kids of, of Shemp. And you got to hear some inside stories that normal people wouldn't actually get to hear about him. Do you yeah. want to share any of those without going into too much detail to give it away from the book? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, I, I, I flew to Los Angeles a, a couple of years ago, and I, I had an interview, face-to-face interview with his uh, oldest granddaughter, and I hope she doesn't mind that because she's not old. But anyway, uh, she's the older of the two, Jill, and we had a great chat over lunch, and uh, she talked about all kinds of things. I mean, for example, you know, back then, you sort of take your take things uh you know you want you want to play the piano so what do you do you don't necessarily have to take lessons you just want to learn how to accompany people so you teach yourself well that's what he did so occasionally at one of the parties you know he get together with uh someone uh, i don't know if you know one of the the big uh supporting stars for the uh, stooges was a gent by the name of vernon dent do you do you remember him uh no He's sort of big as she's. He's not real big. He's about five foot nine, but rather stocky. Uh, always had a mustache. Usually played the villain. Uh, sort of a master of what they called the slow burn. You know, he sort of just was keeping it in before he exploded. Anyway, he happened to be a a, a very very good singer. So you know, and not that I have any any evidence of this, but apparently there were um, times when Chimp would get himself plunk himself down in front of the piano, and uh, Vernon Dent would come along, come along and. He'd sing and Shemp would play the piano and uh, things of that nature. Shemp was also, by the way, a very, very keen gardener. Used to love growing things. Um, unlike a lot of people back then, I mean, he certainly, you know, had his had a few drinks now and then, but uh, he was fairly careful. I mean, he, he smoked cigars. 
So I guess he wasn't that careful, but anyway, smoked cigars, an occasional pipe, and some cigarettes. But he did actually take care of himself reasonably well. He didn't go out and boozing all the time. He didn't sort of uh, party it up. He loved absolutely, and this is one thing that his um, his granddaughter Jill and Sandy, the younger one, and also the daughter-in-law who's who's around, uh, uh, Jerry. Um, she was married to Shemp's son, Mort, who died many years ago. She said, first and foremost, Shemp was like a family man. He absolutely loved family. He hardly ever talked about anything else but family. And uh, quite often at a party, one of those parties where all the adults he'd see, one of the children was there and they'd be sitting at a little table by themselves. And he'd go over and he'd chat with them and, you know, sort of make them laugh. I mean, he was... He was, amazingly enough, there's all kinds of um, tales about Hollywood types, and you, you probably know as many as I do. There's absolutely nothing that I could find that would put, uh, cast the dark shadow on Shemp, you know? Now let's, so, for, so if anyone's wondering, I'm sorry to tell you, Shemp did not have an affair with Marilyn Monroe. Didn't happen. Uh, would have made great reading, I suppose, but um, he was a family man. He, he loved it. He loved his friends. He loved his work. And when he was back home, that's what he did. He fished too, by the way. So despite the fact that one of his supposed phobias was water, he did fish. He liked fishing with his son, Mort. And um, he was just a family guy who happened to be famous as, of one, of, as one of the Three Stooges. In my book, um, you know, the original. So there's a little sample of what he did when he was home. Watched television a lot, by the way. Yeah. And they've remade, uh, I guess, a, a Three Stooges movie with uh, Will Sasso, Sean Hayes, and Chris Diamantopoulos. Yes. Uh, what did you think about that movie? Well, uh, the funny thing was, uh, it was the Fairley brothers who made it, and I, I like I like this stuff, generally speaking. I, I took it in the spirit that it was sort of made, and that was that it was a, it was a comic fictionalized version of Curly Larry Moe. Uh, it wasn't intended to be uh, any any fact at all i mean you know they, they had as you said a couple of the actors were canadians or yeah. are canadians um i thought it was funny i enjoyed it i mean let's put it this way uh anytime i can see larry david as a mother superior he's got to be funny yeah. that's almost as funny as the stooge uh representations in that movie i thought it worked um surprisingly enough uh, i I'm, i used to be a film critic so for the Hamilton Spectator, and uh, I was looking at box office numbers. And uh, interestingly enough, I mean, it didn't make the um, the number one film of the the week or the month, but it made money. And the rumor is that the Fairley Brothers are considering making a um, a sequel or another film. Um, I've also tried to reach them, but uh, with no luck, sadly enough. And uh, my question for them would be: if you did make another film. Would you include Shemp? Because I think that would be great. I think it would be... You can fictionalize it again if you want. Uh, the movie, actually, that came out on television on... Uh, I can't remember what year off the top of my head. It was a Mel, Mel Gibson production. I mean, it was it was basically touted as being the story, the real story. Well, there was a lot of fiction in that. Some stuff that just wasn't true. But... Nonetheless, it was interesting to see. Um, I did actually speak or do a, an online interview with the, the gent, the actor, uh, John Kasser, who played Shemp in that, that particular TV movie. And he was just thrilled. He loved it. You know, he, he loved Shemp. And I, I don't know the name, but he's famous for being the voice of the, the Crypt Keeper on uh, that series. Do you know what yep. I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's his fame, claim to fame. Okay. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to see the Fairley brothers take a stab at it, but uh, let's get Champ in there. Or so hell. if they did, so if they did make a, a do a remake or a, or a part two of this, a continuation of this of another movie, who would you cast as Champ? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, you know something, I really don't know. I mean, uh, if he was a little younger, because although you know, it doesn't really make any difference to me. I, someone like Jim Carrey probably do a great job, even though. Most of his characterizations that I think he borrows from the Stooges are probably more related to Curly. I think he'd probably do a good job. Uh, I'd like to see someone about the right height, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Jim Jim Carrey's about. Well, of course, a couple of the Stooges there in the Fairly film, they're not short. No. 5'11", five, five, six foot. I'd like to see someone though around. The, I, to be honest, at this stage, I don't know. I just can't think of anyone who would be good. Maybe you've got some ideas and you can put out the word. Hey, maybe if you're talking to the Farrelly's uh, and I can't reach them, you can say, look, there's a book coming out. Why don't you do a, re- uh, a take on the book? So there, I can make a few extra dollars that way. How's that for plugging my own product? Yeah, that's right. There you, you, you go. Can say, you can say it's, it's written by the ugliest writer in uh, Woodstock, Ontario. You know, I yeah. can't go with anything. Well, then, you you know, you have a moniker there. It's, it's no different than uh, doing something on, say, a social media on Facebook, on Instagram, and, and getting people to follow you just because you did something different than anybody else did so you know you yeah. plug yourself as the, the the ugliest writer uh in ontario and or in canada and you know what you're going to get people to start following you and and uh, exactly. purchasing your products right it's just marketing it's 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 a genius plug well i i, I was always a, a hippie that uh, well that shows you how old i am <laughs> but now since uh covid19 i'm I, I don't like i don't like going to the hairdressers or barbers anyway so i'm even worse I mean, you know, I look like something out of the Duck Dynasty. In fact, I look like the Duck Dynasty guys back in the 70s. So, you know, I think I got some. And I do, by the way, this book is being published. I do have a publisher. It's an American publisher, Bear Manor Media. It's a it's a great company because basically all they do is books related to entertainment. And a lot of it's sort of stuff that the bigger companies, um, not that this isn't a big company, that they just would say, no, 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 not interested. Uh, I didn't have, I, I was kind of fortunate in a way. Uh, this is total luck on my part. I didn't have to go hunting around for a publisher. They, they look for me. So I was delighted. So look out uh, for um, sometime in early 2021, and it should be out. And um Keep my fingers crossed that people get a chuckle, get a chuckle, and then they rename Shemp the Not Forgotten Stooge. Yeah, definitely, for sure. So you have your other book, but which we talked about right at the intro part of this uh, podcast, which yeah. was called The Fine Art of Boxing, No Stooges in the Ring. Uh, can you let people know where they can find that book? Pretty much only one place, Amazon. It was self-published. Um, for any writers out there, I've been a writer actually since uh, 19. I used to be, I started off as a film critic for the uh, Hamilton Spectator back in the 70s. So I've been doing it for a long time. Haven't written any, I've written a few books, self-published and the like. Uh, the Larry Fine book, it's funny, the publisher I have now said if he'd known about that back then, a few years ago, he would have loved to have uh, published that. But the only place you can get it is on Amazon, and that would be in the form of an e-book. Um, the Shamp Howard book is going to be, um, I believe, is going to be, uh, it's definitely print, possi- most likely e-book, and even possibly um, audio for those, um, you know, visual problems and uh, 
I, I got to get everyone involved. Get get the name of Shemp out there. I, I've got a Shemp. Uh, I've got a Shemp um, mask I'm wearing, by the way, for COVID. A Shemp T-shirt. I'm thinking about uh, buying my Shemp for president, uh, even though I'm not an American. You know, Shemp. Don't go for Trump. Go for Shemp. He's not yeah. lying. But, you know, hey. Yeah. Um, and do you have a working title for your book? Not yet. Uh, we're sort of tossing around a couple of ideas that we haven't decided yet because my publisher really wants to have a look at the whole thing as it is. So I have a designer for the front cover and back cover. We're sort of looking at, you know, the the idea of spotlighting Sham. But I don't think we want to go with the, the Forgotten Stooge because that would just sort of um, amplify something that's not really true. So we don't really, we have kind of working titles, but nothing yet. I'm thinking possibly by Christmas, if I'm really, really, really getting towards the end, that we may have a much better idea. And and then I'm starting, I'm thinking at this point, and that's the time to get back to doing some podcasts, hopefully maybe a return visit to you, with you again, that would be great. Because uh, as far as Canada goes, other than going to the the website for Bear Manor Media, it's probably going to end up me trying to sell it from uh, my place and i suspect uh a little a little bit negative i don't think there's going to be personal appearances in any promotional tours because i suspect that we're still going to be in the uh, grips of to some extent of covid19 sad to say so you need something to laugh at yeah definitely and yeah for sure definitely in uh december around christmas time yeah just get uh, back in contact with me we will have you back on the show We'll, we'll help you promote your book um, try to get it out to uh, Canadians that aren't really aware of uh, Shemp Howard or the Three Stooges and want to read up more on it and and check out the, your writing material. Right. That'd be great. I appreciate that very much. And uh, it's been great talking with you. It's, uh, it's always nice. I have done a, a few Canadian podcasts and that's great. Love to keep it uh, local. You know, let's uh, I, I also like that in a way that's uh, kind of strange. Uh, my publisher did tell me, he said, you know, I've been trying for years to get a hold of someone to write this book. I mean, many years. And then I showed up. So here I am, you know, born in England, raised in Canada. So a Canadian, a Canadian is writing the book. So and an American um, publisher. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we, we that shows we, we can all get along, you know. Yeah, you know the symbol of peace. You know, a poke in the eye and a slap and uh, and a bit of champagne. That's it. That's how you get peace. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we want to thank you for coming on the show today. We appreciate you coming on and telling us about your upcoming project and the book that you're working on. And then we will have you back on so that we can actually talk about the book once it is uh, just about to be published. We can you know name the title and let people know where they're going to be able to find it once it's ready to be published. And uh, we'll go from there. So thank you very much for coming on today's show. Well, thank you very much for having me and uh, to you and all your listeners. Uh, stay happy and stay safe. And uh, we'll get back to you sometime, hopefully towards the uh, the Christmas season. Yeah, definitely. 100%. And as always, stay safe, be kind to each other, and we will see you later. Here we go now! Jerky.